Hello, friends. Welcome back to our tale. The year is 1890. The place, Boston. An evil force continues to seep into our world, corrupting and conquering all who touch it. Our four brave adventurers foiled its mysterious plans and brought Jack the Ripper to justice. But can they succeed again? Can they keep this force from holding illimitable dominion over all? Find out as they face the Red Death. And we're back in Boston. Uh, this is the morning after your caper in the museum. What's everybody doing this morning? Run us through it real quick. Uh, so I guess the last thing we did was come back from the library. Well, I guess we came from the library to the museum. Uh, Agnes and James had an uncomfortable exchange with uh, the detective about, you know, them wanting us to do the circle's work but not know the circle's secrets and <laughs> have become saucy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next morning, I think James has got a well-needed good night's sleep. Um, woke up, had some had some basic breakfast, some eggs, maybe some bacon, and you know, James, I think work has he's worked his whole life. That's been his main deal his whole life is work, 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 make you know, save up money for the dream. But I think since this Red Death business has come in and his new friends, I think a lot of mornings he kind of finds himself conflicted about you know, do I go to work and be kind of out of pocket if I'm needed or do I hang around home? So I think there's a lot of pacing around his, his small apartment trying to think, you know, of what to do. He doesn't really know if he has a way to contact anybody, you know, so it's kind of wait until you're called unless we've like established, you know, we're going to meet at the old uh, firehouse building and, you know, do plans every morning. But I think James is in a lot of uncertainty uh, at the moment because he's he's not clued in to like greater circle things. So I imagine there's a lot of he, I think he feels a lot like he sits around and waits to get told, "Hey, we need you here." Without you know, I mean, it's just it comes all of a sudden. So he's kind of just doing a waiting thing, really. Okay, great. What's it going next? <laughs> <laughs> not me. No, dang it! I was waiting for what 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 Agnes was doing before I did uh, Ignatius. So, I think Agnes is actually. I this is unusual for her, but I think she's sleeping in, which is not really usually. She's like an early morning person, gets some stuff done, but it's been taxing. There's been a lot of confusing things happening that she can't quite sort out, and if she can't sort it out, then she just wants to sleep. And that probably causes a little bit of concern for her parents because they're used to seeing her downstairs sometimes, like before they're even up. Uh, but like she knows, like there's a whole list of things she needs to look into, but it's overwhelming. And so, for once, she's just deciding to put it off. So, what time do you finally head downstairs? I think it's almost like pretty much midday. Okay. Where do you find your mother as you head downstairs? Um, she is in the like reading room area or whatever is used as the reading room, um, sorting through probably 
letters and writing. She's probably sitting at her writing desk writing letters to people. So as you come down, she looks up and she says, Agnes, dear, come, come in. Uh, and groggily, <laughs> Agnes approaches. She gestures to a chair and you see that there's a cup of tea sitting there waiting for you. So I feel like I pro- Agnes can probably identify like what like her mom and her probably drink different teas. Mm-hmm. So she can tell like just from the scent of it that it's hers and she downs it because she's dehydrated from all that sleeping, that hard sleeping work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sleeping's hard. And she says, Detective O'Neill told me that you're a bit frustrated. Can we talk about that? Uh, I mean, I, I, of course we can talk about it. I, I don't know what exactly did he tell you I was frustrated about? She says, why don't you tell me what you and your friend, Mr. Wilcox told him? Well, there's a lot going on and Detective O'Neill wants us to do certain tasks in favor of a group that we do not belong to and we are not privy to their inner workings. And I find this incredibly frustrating because if someone asks a favor of you, generally they have to be honest about what that favor exactly amounts to at the end of the day. And I feel that we are not being given enough information to make educated choices. She says, what information would you like? I've never withheld anything from you, dear. Even just the most basic information I feel we are lacking. Like when, when did this all start for one? Well, the Red Death has been seeping into our world for longer than any of us have been alive. And the Circle was founded far, far before any of us were born as well. But we are a force dedicated to preventing the spread, the the growth, the encroachment of this evil. And we're always looking for new members. You are a powerful spellcaster. And we would be honored to have you. Agnes finishes the rest of her tea, like as a tactic for delaying having to say anything for a bit. You know, when you say spellcaster, I understand that there are certain things in your books that talk about this, and I want to be as open minded as I can. Uh, but I've never done anything that remotely resembles spellcasting. I've, I've played with people's minds, sure. She says you would call it, you young people would call it, what, hogwash? Hogwash, yes, that's one of the words, maybe. I don't mean to be disrespectful, I just mean to be as reasonable as I can and realistic. Mm-hmm. She nods. She says... Your father is so similar. He, I've shown him what the women in our family can do and he just, 
always has another explanation for it. And I thought you of all people would see and would understand things the way I do, but such is the way of things. Well, don't you want explanations for things that generally people are happy to leave unexplained? She pauses. She's never thought of it this way before. And she says, I don't worry about how the magic I use or you use works. I don't worry about how I fell in love with your father. I don't worry about how I know that I love you or, or William with all my heart. But I know these things and, and they simply are. I don't, I don't need an explanation for everything. I'm going to be painfully honest with you because I feel that we've managed to do that for most of my life, mm-hmm. at least my adult life. Um, but I am, I've been very frightened recently. Um, there are things that are happening that I don't understand and I've tried to come up with explanations and I've tried to analyze every last detail, but I'm really scared because some of it just doesn't add up. And I feel like I am on the brink of madness. I'm losing my mind. And if I can't understand something, there's no way I can protect myself or anybody I care about from it. And if I don't have an understanding, then aren't I powerless? Aren't we all powerless against the things that we don't have the adequate knowledge of? In the end, in some sense, yes. But I I think, sweetie, that the point isn't to understand things. It's to be able to prepare for them and respond to them. What was it that scared you so much recently? Was it one thing or the things that you've been seeing? Well, there was a very dangerous museum exhibit. Um, I had a disturbing conversation with a, a, a thing, and Agnes kind of like gets a really weird look in her eyes when she's thinking back to the Sphinx, trying to figure out how the hell she can even explain such a thing, even though she knows it has a name. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever done any reading on? so-called sphinxes yes she shifts in her chair a bit i have they're they're interesting aren't they they're normally good creatures it's odd that you would have had a bad experience with one you're a good person yeah it was a little bit like talking to a very intimidating, large cat. You know, the kind that you haven't actually seen attack someone, but looks at you kind of like it's going to pounce on you and that has really sharp claws. It's just that weird feeling. Cats, cats never really frightened me before this. The thing that it plays with you before it eats you. Mm-hmm. But it didn't eat you. 
no but it 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 or whatever was manipulating a thing to seem like one of these creatures uh very much gave me the impression that i was not necessarily safe well with sphinxes if you lie to them or attempt to deceive them they can be quite dangerous but if you're honest which you are and clever which you certainly are you're usually safe that's the usually part (laughs) i i don't want to make a mistake that ends up being lethal well I think you need to trust yourself more. You've always thought of yourself in relationship in contrast to in competition with your brother, but you're so much more than what he is or isn't. I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know, I know that I'm, I'm much more than just, you know, what I am in comparison to William. I mean, obviously anybody who's met the two of us would know that I'm my own unique person, completely separate from that, that relation. And she is trying to like, not say terrible things in front of her mother, <laughs> essentially. She laughs and she says, and he hasn't quite been at his best lately. Um, But the world is a scary place. It's a dangerous place. And it's a place that eventually will kill us all. But that doesn't mean that the dangers we face are anything we can't handle. The circle has been preparing for years to hold off the Red Death, even as it gains in power. And the more focus and the more energy we're able to put into keeping it out, the stronger we'll be. Whatever you know or don't know or think or believe or don't believe, would you be willing to help us? I mean, I can't deny my mother, can I? (laughs) She says, you can. I hope I've never raised you to think that you have to obey me. I want to help with anything that... I mean, if somebody earnestly asks for my help, then I want to be able to give it to them, but I feel like the trust needs to be mutual and I worry about an imbalance forming. An imbalance between you and your friends? An imbalance between, yes, me and my friends, my friends who seem to be in the know, and then me and Mr. Wilcox on the other side of that. Also an imbalance perhaps within this household and with, I mean, Detective O'Neill has never seemed mysterious to me when, in my youth, but uh, mm-hmm. in recent in the recent days, I, my perspective on him has changed a bit. There are things I don't think I quite understand about him and his history. But all of that, I think, is the circle. And if you're ready to be a part of it, 
we're ready to have you be a part of it. Well, I've always been fond of the idea of clubs. <laughs> she smiles. She says, then, then let me speak to the others and, and we'll talk soon. Uh, what about Mr. Wilcox, my, my friend? She says, the, the purpose of the circle is to weave magic to keep the Red Death out. People without the ability to use and control magic are, you can see she's struggling with the words here, not meant for the circle. He's very strong, though. He's incredibly strong, and he's a truly worthy ally, but he has no magic in him. Well, the idea of people being with or without magic is still perplexing to me. I mean, I, there's nothing that I could do that I don't see him potentially doing with enough training and maybe going to a few lectures on hypnotism. She's sort of smiles sadly and says it's so much more than that you've as a little hobby of yours i know you've debunked nearly everyone you've ever gone to see and they're all charlatans none of them have magic in them none but but you do he's strong he's brave from everything I've heard. He's impressive. He's fine to look at, but he's unable to do the work that the circle requires of them. Your friend, I believe he calls himself Sawyer, is in the same sort of category. He's not, he's not a member of the circle either. He knows what he needs to know, and certainly if Mr. Wilcox wants to work with us, we can tell him as much as we tell Mr. Sawyer, but, but I'm afraid the circle is for a specific kind of person. Well, I would prefer that all of my friends who I've been working with be given as much information as they reasonably can be and included as much as they can be in whatever God knows what decisions you all are making in this circle. She says, you make it sound so nefarious. Well, it's, it's hard not to imagine these things with a group that's named the circle. It's a little bit of an ominous title. She says, the name was chosen as far as I understand it for the perfection of a circle, the, the way that it forms a ring around something. The earth is a circle. The, the spheres, the, the magic that binds everything together is perfect. And the circle strives to be as strong and as perfect as possible. Well... I probably don't need to tell you this, but perfection is a dangerous thing to strive for sometimes. She nods and she says, I know, but 
for what we think is coming, for what we've seen coming, we'll need to be as good as possible. Then I think you should, or somebody should talk to my friend James so that he can at least have the option of being as included as anyone will allow him to be. She nods. She says, I'll, I'll speak with the others, but, but I have no intent to keep anything from you. Well, I look forward to all the flood of information that I'm sure is coming my way. She smiles. She says, there's not much I haven't told you already, dear. Well, I'm sure there'll be more to learn down the road. Maybe some things that will even surprise you. She says, there's much for you to learn if you're willing to entertain the truths of the universe. Uh, Which I know you think are hogwash. I mean, if I were to write a book that somebody else would title The Truths of the Universe, I would probably give it a very different title. (laughs) She says, well, I'm sure you would. More tea? Of course, I'm I'm dehydrated from all my sleeping. (laughs) And she snaps her fingers and there's more tea in your cup. Agnes just sighs very heavily. (laughs) But she drinks it because she just can't. She just cannot. She cannot even, like, say anything about... Because she knows it would be fruitless to try to argue about what just actually happened. And if there's, like, compartment in the desk. And if, like, she's been hypnotized. She's so tired also still that she's probably just like, you know what? Maybe it was there all along. I just, I don't care anymore. And it's warmer than you remember it being when you had your last gulp. Agnes is just silently sipping on her tea. (laughs) It's good tea. (laughs) She says, I know, it's your favorite, dear. How's everyone else this morning going? I I had an idea, but if, uh, Morgan, if if you had an idea for Ignacia... I honestly, the only thing I can think of is her getting up early and just getting out of the house. That's, that's all I had. I had some, something that may, maybe Ignacia could have helped Finn with. Okay. But veto it if you don't like it. Tell me, what is it? Well, I think that he probably got back afterwards, needed a lot of sleep, but instead uh, maybe had been reminded that it was a significant day, but it's kind of an emotional one, uh, like date. Um, And so he, found the bar that they went to before and uh, proceeded to just drink a lot, like a lot. And there was a piano player there that agreed to play a lot of songs that Finn was requesting, but then he just went out, like blacked out at the place. And so they needed somebody to come and help him. So, so Ignacy basically just, I don't know if you would have gone with him there or if maybe you just were called to help. I, I think she, if that's the case, I think she probably went with him because she, after that conversation with Owen Neal, she was like, I need a, I need a minute. So, so I think Agnes, they probably like dropped off Agnes and then like went to the bar or something. I don't know. I like that. Yeah, me too. So yeah, basically she would, when she probably wouldn't get as mashed as Sawyer does, but she'll probably just like <laughs> help him back to his to Li Jing's into his apartment. So I don't, I don't know. I don't think 
or do we don't need to do like what happened at the bar, right? We could sort of leave that for. Is the, Doug, you want to do the next morning, right? I mean, if there's anything that happened at the bar that you wanna you wanna talk about, if the two of you wanna have a conversation about anything, you absolutely could. Maybe like just a, a brief montage of progressively getting more drunk and revealing pretty much anything Ignacia asks. He become it's sort of like truth serum at that point, and oh, no. continues to. He has no money left at this point. He put all of his money in a, in a. a thing a, a mug by like a glass of whatever by the piano player and requested the same song over and over and over and then by the end of the night was actually singing oh my darling oh my darling oh my darling clementine you are lost and gone forever dreadful sorry clementine in a cave in a canyon Excuse oh, me. Oh, bless. That's <laughs> well, beautiful. I, I think it's just more like just not like much of a conversation that, but maybe just shots if we're like looking at it cinematically that um, Sawyer paying this piano man, piano person, Ignacia just like trying to wrangle him. <laughs> and then eventually, once, once it's like closing time. Because I think bars closed that back then. I don't know. I don't know how the old times work. But um, eventually, Ignacio has like an arm over, like one of his arms over his shoulders and just like helping him walk back to his flat. And then cut to next morning where I guess she kind of like laid him, like she, she took off his boots, laid him in bed. And then like she, I guess, fell asleep like on the, in the chair next, next to his bed, make sure he was okay. This might be a, a good like introduction with you and Li Jing, possibly even like after he's passed out because <laughs> she's she stayed up pretty late in in previous episodes when Sawyer got home. Mm-hmm. And Li Jing and Ignacia know each other so maybe. Yeah she's asleep by the time uh the two of you get back because you're you're sort of uh racing the dawn to get back in before before the lights come up. But uh, the next morning, Ignacia wakes up before before Finn does because she had quite a bit less to drink than he did. And here's her working downstairs. So I think if it's okay with you, you head downstairs to, sh- to see what she's going on about down there. Yeah. I'm also slightly hungover, not as bad as... Finn will be when he wakes up, but um, she's got a little bit of headache going and she's just rubbing her temple and, you know, her shoes are off because she doesn't want to wake him up with her boots, so she sneaks out of his little apartment and quietly shuts the door behind her and um, makes her way makes her way down the stairs to um, say good morning to Li Jing. And so Jing, as you sort of walk down the stairs, holds out a cup of liquid to you and says uh glances at you and says oh ignacia you stayed here last night this will help you too i think then oh yeah and um yeah i stayed because we were out late last night and sawyer got deep into his cups and i didn't want him to stumble back home by himself so uh, i hope this is okay (laughs) 
She says, it's fine. Um, she says, but drink this, you'll feel better. And as she hands you the cup, you smell just an incredible amount of ginger in here mixed with tea and you think ginseng. Okay. She takes the cup. Thank you. And just takes a big old sip of it. So she says, maybe you can help me with this since we're both awake and we have a bit of time. What do you know about lycanthropy? Lycanthropy? Oh. Mm. Uh, do, I, I, do arcana, yeah, let's find out. Give me an arcana check. Arcana check? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a synthetic 20. Okay. So quite a bit. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I mean, I haven't seen anything firsthand, but I've read that lycanthropy is where a human can shapeshift into a wolf and then it's either they have control of it or it's by the moon cycles or um, something of the sort where they're cursed, I guess, with this supernatural power. She says, yes, many believe it is supernatural. But I'm starting to think it might be medical. You've seen rabid animals, I'm sure. Oh, oh yeah, plenty. I fear it might be a strain of rabies of some kind. And if it's medical, then it could potentially be treated medically. That initially is why our friend Mr. Finn came out here. I thought I was closer to the solution than I actually was. And he was going to take it back to the West Coast in case it was ever needed there. There's werewolves in the West Coast? She shrugs. She says, and kind of waves her hand around her. says, there's evil everywhere. Would you consider the strain of rabies to be evil then? She says, if it's purely a disease, then no, it's merely an ailment. But if the people who get it have control over their actions and are willfully biting others, then that would strike me as a kind of evil. Yeah, I can see that. Spreading this unnecessary disease willingly among others can be seen pretty badly. Mm -hmm. But, um... What, what, what help did you need with lycanthropy? She says, I, I just know that there's something off about this. And of course, she chuckles. I haven't had the opportunity to test it, but I don't know. And she slides you a, uh, a sheet of paper where she's written a, a recipe. Um, Looking at it with your training, you know that this is something that would help people with symptoms like rabies. Um, but give me a medicine check to see how well you understand it on the whole. Ooh. Um, 15. Okay. So you understand it pretty well, and something seems off about it to you. Which part of it seems off? Mm, I think... There's an ingredient missing. Hmm. Any ideas? Well, when you look at this list, and they all seem great, they seem like great herbs. 
in the first place. I think what may be missing is, uh, I mean, you have Wolfsbane, which is obviously a given. Mm-hmm. You have some cayenne to help clear things out. I don't know. I need I need to do some research. It's mm-hmm. been a while since I've studied my herbs. She says, yes, here, you can have this copy. Take it with you. No, thank you. And it's fascinating that you're working on it. How did you stumble across lycanthropy in the first place? She says that her mentor told her stories about uh, lycanthropes terrorizing a village. And she started thinking about medically what it was similar to and how you might be able to treat that and has been poking about it, thought she had a a breakthrough with it, but the compound that she was working on, you know, the components mixed together proved to be a bit dangerous. Um, and so she wouldn't want to give that to anyone. She thinks an older recipe she had might cure lycanthropy, but she sort of smiles and shrugs, but might do so by, you know, causing their stomach to explode. Not the best way to affect a cure. I mean, that will get rid of the issue, but definitely not cure anything. No, she says no. Yeah. But um, thank you. I'll, I'll take a look at this and see if I can see what I can do to help. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. No problem. And if if you don't mind me asking, mm-hmm. um, I see how Sawyer has a room here. Do you have any other rooms like that? Or I'm staying with the Hans, and I feel I'm uh, I just I feel like I'm still imposing. It's been a year, and I I rather give them some space. She says, well, if you were imposing, I'm sure they would tell you. You're working for Dr. Han for only a small salary, correct? Yeah. Just, I mean, I'm assisting, so I'm not getting paid a whole lot. But at the same time, like, I just... I don't know. It's just their family and their life. And I want, want them to have the space they deserve. And, you know, I it's wonderful that they even offer me a space to begin with. But... I feel like I need my own space now that I'm starting to settle down in Boston, I suppose. Mm-hmm. She says, well, I, I have one room that might work. Let me, let me see if I can consolidate a few things. It, it wouldn't be much, but it would be something. And I honestly don't need much, but uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Sure. And from upstairs, you hear, uh, the sound of like a foot hitting the floor and then some like muttered mumbled cursing. Um, do you have another one of these teacups I could probably bring up to him? She smiles and she scrapes some stuff out of a mortar and pestle into this teapot that she served you out of, stirs it a bit and pours it into a much larger cup than she poured yours into. <laughs> She says, this might do the trick. And arches an eyebrow cannily. 
All right. Uh, thank you. And Ignacia takes hers and the one for Sawyer and just uh, goes up the stairs and starts making her way in. <laughs> All right. Sawyer, what are you doing right now? Are, is, are you coming into the room? Yeah. So Sawyer is on the floor um, looking under the bed uh, and uh, he doesn't know it's you at first. He just says, uh, Madam Jing, I would be forever in your debt if you could find my left boot. I have misplaced, I have misplaced my left boot. I put them both by the door. Ah, Ignacia. <laughs> and like, as he says that and looks over, she's like kicking the door closed behind her and she's just like holding out the mug to him. Ah, uh, you have the magic. <clears throat> He says that, uh, not referring to your magic, of course, but the magic of Li Jing's uh, breakfast beverage. Um, okay. He takes it and kind of sitting, still sitting on the floor, leans his back against the the mattress or the bed and uh, one boot on, one boot off. No, wait, no boots, you said? Yeah, she, she basically <laughs> took them both off and put them by the door. <laughs> that makes it even funnier since he's looking only for the left one and had no idea he was right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll tackle the right boot once we found the left. <laughs> yeah, left. One, one at a time. One at a time. <laughs> it's one of those mornings. He says, um, I'm having a hard time recalling all the events that transpired last evening. Um, not that you need to hit me with all of them at once. Is everybody okay? Yes, everybody's fine. Okay, uh, next question. Did I make a damn fool of myself or just a fool of myself? I mean, you have a lo lovely singing voice, so. Oh, a damn fool. Well, I thought it was quite nice. He, uh, he fumbles around. He, he's trying to make light of everything, but he, he's still a little bit sad. I, I would imagine at some point he revealed that last night was the, the, uh, a certain sum. Well, it, it was, it, it was, um, it was Sulin's birthday, we'll say. Oh, yeah. And it, he was reminded of it. And so he celebrated uh, too much. And he probably revealed many different types of things to you throughout the evening during those drunken montages. But uh, um, he's, he's a little conflicted, but a lot hungover. So he's just drinking that. Uh, and he says, uh, did, did you stay here all night? Yeah, I, I slept in the chair. I didn't know. In the chair? Your, yeah. Your back must... I, I, I'm fine. I've slept in worse places. Like on the train. Ugh. He, uh, well, okay. See, he goes quiet for a little while, but then he just says, thank you. So, you know. Of course, I wasn't going to let you... You were far gone by the time I got here last night, and I was concerned it might have been a little over the limit, so I just wanted to keep an eye on you. Well, I've been in darker places, but uh, never with as uh, good good a company, so thank you. Uh, Jean probably looked pretty uh, disappointed. No. When you she was surprised that... Um, not disappointed, I don't think. Well, what did you talk about? Um, just herbal stuff. 
Um, she told me why you came out to Boston. To pick up a package? Yeah. About, um, and she holds the recipe in her hand and just, about, and she was asking my help with, with it, so I'm going to see what I can do. Question for the GM. Did Sawyer, I mean, he didn't know anything about that stuff, the supernatural stuff involved in it. He was just here to pick something up, right? I believe so, yeah. The first supernatural thing he probably witnessed was the whole uh, Ripper situation. Yes. Okay. He, he, he knew he had a job to do, and so his plan was to just get the package and return. Li Jing told him it would be a little bit mm. and stay there. All right, so he says, uh, well, it's probably good that you two are working together since both you have a lot of skill in that area. Mine is more in the consumption, and he drinks the rest of the potion, the breakfast potion. <laughs> I want to see what I can do. It's been a while since I've studied herbs, so it will be a minute before I can do anything. Well, now. So I think I think Sawyer, uh, just being kind of goofy, coy, whatever, trying to hide. You know how he is when he when there's real emotions and pain. Um, and he just says, uh, well, if there's any help uh, either of you need with uh, solving that, just, you know, you know, let me know. I I appreciate you, but I don't know if you would be able to help in this situation, but thank you, though. <laughs> he he winks while finishing the, the rest of his drink. And at this point, Ignacio's starting to put on her boots and, like, uh, starting getting ready to go. I'm going to need just a bit to freshen up. Did we have plans today to visit our friends? Not that I know of. Well, you're going to need uh, at least an escort home. I'll just need a few moments to freshen up after I figure out how to stand. I mean, I can, it's morning. It's not, it's going to be fine. But I appreciate it. You should. No, 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 no. You Figured should do more rest. Stands up. She's just counting in her head how long it is before he falls back down. <laughs> I will sit for just a moment, but then we can go. Six seconds. By the, by the door, you said my, my boots? Yes. And she just points at them. <laughs> Left and right. He's, his eyes are closed and he's just squeezing the bridge of his nose, waiting for the... No, mat. you wear two lefts, which is really weird. I'm kidding. It's Commentary all... on my dancing. <laughs> <laughs> you actually didn't dance last night. Well, I guess I wasn't too far gone. You were singing a lot, though. Fair enough. To the left boots, and he holds up an arm, <laughs> knowing that you'll help him to them. <laughs> she just gets up, sighs, and just grabs his arm and just, like, pulls him to stand up. So on the to-do list today is to get you home and then find a bath. I mean, we've had some rough day couple days i don't know time is weird when you go into another dimension to another part of the world yeah i've never been fond of libraries but that was clearly the worst um i've actually never been into a real library like i know boston has a library here in town i just haven't had a chance to 
venture into yet. And uh, Dr. Han has his home library, but so that was interesting. It was, it was fascinating to see all his books. He's right now, as you're holding him up by the boots, like spearing with his foot and his point pointed toe, trying to get into the boot and it's missing each time. Oh my goodness. Just stand still. <laughs> She's going to get down and just like help lace him up. Now, once, once Wait, you get these on, on. Wait, okay. pause real quick. Are we still in our ball clothes from like the, the museum? Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> Ignacio's you're still in a gown. Okay. And I feel like in character, you realize that just when you realize that out of character. Because I was just, as you're squatting down, she's like, why is it so hard to squat? Oh, dang it. <laughs> I'm still on a course. Oh, that would have been awful to sleep in last night. Yeah, it wasn't Ooh. your best night's sleep. <laughs> Sitting in a chair in a corset. Oh, yeah. So I think I think after a little while of struggling with the boots and everything, uh, would should would you do you want to? I don't want uh, Sawyer to like pressure you into force having having him escort you if you don't want him to go with no, you. No, she'll, she'll, she protests once and then she'll like, okay, fine, let's go. All right, then I think it's just after he gets ready and we go out, uh, Doug, unless you're stopping us for any reason, uh, I would say that he stops again as soon as the sunlight hits his eyes, <laughs> goes back inside and gets his hat, pulls it real down low and then can continue. Although he's technically escorting you, <laughs> you're escorting him. <laughs> Right, I imagine Ignacia sort of leading him by the arm towards where she's going. I think he's remembering little bits of the of the evening or the walk home or the walk to <laughs> just things popping into his head as we walk. There's yeah, one but- where like she like stops for a hot second because she's trying to remember where they are, and then he like sort of like tries to lean against the building and misses the building entirely <laughs> and goes into the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and there's like a good like minute where she's struggling to just get him back on his feet. And... Another moment when Finn uh, challenges you to see if which of the two of us could jump over a puddle. <laughs> like, like he just goes into the puddle <laughs> and uh, that's why he took off the boots. <laughs> oh my gosh. Hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, let's go back to James. James, you've been sort of pacing the apartment for a little while. How long do you do that for? Um, I think James probably probably about an hour deciding what he's going to do. If he wants to go down to to where you know where the current project is, um, or I think eventually he decides he's just going to stay home. You know, he putting on some shirt on a shirt, stretches, feels some pain, and thinks maybe a day off would be good for him. Okay. So, what does he do with his day off? Uh, so I think he writes a letter to Monty. Uh, that's probably one of the first things he does after eating breakfast. He sits down, writes a letter, a few drafts of it, trying to figure out how much he wants to tell, uh, how much he wants to let on, because he's been a little, he's been open with Monty on some of the stuff that's been going on. I think. Mm-hmm. not too deep details about, you know, got my heart clenched by a ghost and stuff like that, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, so I think he does that. 
talks to him about the party at the museum and that they ran into some bad types, some real bad types. Um, and that he, you know, I think, I think in this letter, he kind of really opens up about the people he's, he's, he's met, you know, about Sawyer, Ignacia, Magnus, you know, tells Monty a little bit about each of them, you know, what he thinks and how, Agnes clearly has some sort of uh, supernatural powers, but is always going out of her way to to uh, explain them off as natural occurrences or or misunderstandings, and how Ignacia just has ways of, you know, she has just like this touch that 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 heals people and lifts them up and makes them feel feel stronger than they once were, and how Finn who is just protective of everyone and seems to always be willing to put himself in danger, uh, almost as if he had the, has a death wish of his own at times. And that, you know, that they've become really close friends to him. Uh, and that these things we've been through has really brought us together. And, and then that there's uncertainty in the future kind of about what, uh, what the goal is. James knows, you know, he's become part of something bigger, but, you know, and, and there's co- co- conflict. There's, he's conflicted about that as well because, mm-hmm. you know, he wants to be with Monty and have this life, but he's also filling this pool of the greater good, mm-hmm. you know. So there's this big letter that goes through three or four drafts, you know, some with more information, some with less. You know. mm-hmm. And what do you tell him about his increasing insistence that he come to Boston to visit you? Um, I think James is definitely going to, I think he, he, he insists that Boston is not a safe place right now. Just in the past few months with, with this ripper, you know, copycat or whatever it was that Monty probably read about in the papers and just these bad groups of people that are that are showing up um out of out of character did we talk did i tell you that i've always pictured money as being black right okay so yeah yeah uh he would definitely say you know boston with this activity is certainly not a not a safe place for for um you know people of color and, and minorities that that there's been a lot of this group of people that are, you know, causing problems. So James really is pretty insistent on Monty staying there and that James hopes that he, you know, he explains, he hopes he can get down to, you know, to visit him really soon. Okay, great. So just as you're finishing up what you think is the next to last draft of the letter, um, there's a knock on your door. Well, James will get up and go answer that door. Okay. You open the door and standing there in front of you is Sadek Kepri. Okay. Not Monty. Not Monty. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I think she James. She can come in. Yeah, I think James, there's a moment of taking it back. Uh, and he, he says, well, well hello, Miss, Miss Kepri. Uh, and then when she asked me to come in, he said, uh, 
he looks around and says, uh, yes, just one moment. And he goes over and clears a chair, you know, pulls it out and dusts it off because, you know, only the one chair ever gets used. So mm-hmm. uh, give me a perception check real quick. Okay. Uh, that is a synthetic 20. Okay. Um, you notice that she is still, she still looks exactly the way she did when you left the museum in the middle of the night last night, as put together, as well rested, exactly the same. Okay. Um, I don't think James would comment on that. Okay. <laughs> so that says, oh, go ahead. She says, uh, James, I wanted to come and talk to you a bit more. Okay, well, um, would you like some water or, I mean, that's really all I have to offer unless you are taking whiskey this early in the morning? Uh, She looks at her watch and says, it's three in the afternoon, James. Oh, um, well, (laughs) whiskey then maybe? She says, I haven't slept yet, so it's still last night for me. So water? I'll take both. Oh, not, okay. I won't be silly. Okay, James, pour some <laughs> small cup of whiskey and, and a nice cup of water with some okay. ice. If, if there was readily available. I don't know the ice situation these days. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not readily available. So there's probably some, you know, ice picking for <laughs> a bit. <laughs> so... She uh, she sort of waves off the ice as you start picking at it and says, I'll just, and drains the whiskey in uh, in one gulp and says, may I sit? Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, pulls the chair out again. <sighs> she says, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. I, I've made some inquiries into what happened last night, but None of the people I would expect to know anything seem to know anything. She says, I, uh, I spoke with a few of the people involved with the exhibit to see if they had any sense of what they actually almost unleashed here, but none of them did and it doesn't make any sense. So without needing an insight check, you can tell she's very tired and a little bit addled, which is unusual. She seemed so composed last night, and today she seems a little shakier. So I had the feeling that you more understood what was happening last night. She says, yes. How much... She rubs her temple. Uh, How much do you understand about what happened last night? Well, I can say that I don't actually understand a whole lot of it. Um, I know that it was not part of the planned exhibit. This wasn't, sure didn't feel like a stage show as a account of, you know, the wounds people suffered and seemed like people were in, you know, mortal danger. She says, no, certainly not. The... What Most of what you experienced underground is similar to what you experienced in the library. And 
elaborate but incredibly realistic illusion meant to protect, in the case of the museum, Dusserkov himself. In the case of the library, the knowledge contained there. But there was something else as well. The Red Death. The, the Sphinx you met at the library should have been the same sort of Sphinx you met under the museum. But of course it wasn't. It was a much nastier thing we saw under there, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, James takes a moment and remembers the flashback that that he experienced with his father and slowly nods his head like nasty is certainly a word I would use to describe my encounter with the Sphinx, yes. She says you endured the trial of character, didn't you? Yes. Uh, I would say if it had a name that that's what it seemed to be. She says uh, I endured that once myself when I made the journey to Userkov's tomb. I failed. There's a moment while James processes that and know and thinks about what failing would have been for him uh, and imagines it would have been, you know, murdering the person there and mm-hmm. processes that and but you know just just looks at Sadat and as he as he's thinking it through and you know just kind of nods his head slowly as it all pieces together and she says but but you succeeded without any training without any of the guidance from those of us who would know about these things Uh, there's no easy way to say this james i knew your mother and it doesn't surprise me that you succeeded where many fail. So James, um, so if you're in the room with James, it, it whenever she mentions that she knew his mother, um, it looks like he's been punched. The color kind of drains out of his face. He, he slowly reaches down and, and fills up the whiskey glass because he didn't pour one for himself. He fills up Sadat's uh, and takes takes his drink. And he says, how, how, what, how would you know my mother? She says the, the lost kingdom, the group that I'm a part of, the group that is best preparing for the incoming attack from the Red Death. Your mother was a part of it too. She was one of the fiercest warriors I've ever met and a truly, truly powerful sorceress. James is, uh, he, I mean, his world clearly has been rocked at this point. And he's a, a, sor- a sorceress. Uh, but I mean, like, I mean, what, what, what do you mean, a sorceress? So she looks at you and you can see she's processing, trying to figure out what to say to make this make sense to you and says, well, she could cast spells, James. That, 
I don't. Her first name, Aoife. Did she ever tell you about the history of that name? No, I mean, she just, that was just her name. I mean, she, we, she didn't ever talk about her name or, or I just figured it was a, I mean, if I figured anything, I figured it was a family name. She, she laughs. She says, we believe it was. Ifo was a truly powerful sorceress of Irish legend. And we believe that she is a direct descendant of that original Aoife. We don't know for sure, and legends are what they are, but I've met many who can wield the powers of magic. I've met some as powerful as your mother, but I've met none who were as powerful as your mother was. So James sits back and is just thinking over everything. And then that last sentence, kind of one word in that last sentence, really settles in his mind. And it's the word were. And so he sits up and then he looks at Sadat and he says, Is my mother still alive? No. She, uh, no, she had a, a brush with the red death a few years before she met your father. And we all agreed it was best that she went into hiding. She was beyond important to what's going to happen when the red death gets here. She Well, I'll tell you more about that later. You don't care about that right now, but she went into hiding and it seemed like it was going well. Uh, Because of who she was, the Red Death had a nearly impossible time finding her, but shortly before she died, she became convinced that the Red Death's forces had found her and So we agreed it was best for her to escape as quickly as possible, draw them off the trail of you and your father. We met in Cairo. She came to the library and left by the same exit Usarkov took. And as we were going to hide her out in the deserts, we, we were attacked. And she put herself between me and them. And with, as she was cut down, the last thing she did was teleport me away. She knew she wasn't gonna make it, but as she was dying, she sent me thousands of miles away where I was safe, but no, I watched, I saw, I'm so sorry. So James stands up and walks over to the window to look out over 
I mean, he just, his apartment just looks into the next building. So he's just, he's staring at a brick wall. Um, and there's a lot of things he wants to say. He wants to turn and scream at Sadet and ask her, you know, if my mother was so important, why would you, why would you run? You know, he has irrational thoughts like that. Um, and why would, why, you know, just all kinds of things. He wants to know more about who cut her down and more about what they were doing there. Uh, and he, he gets angry and then he looks down at his hands and his hands that have done so much work over the years building and, and putting things together and not taking things apart. And he knows that any of the things he's just thought of would wouldn't be helpful. They'd be destructive. They would just tear down any good that his mother had done or that, that Sadet was trying to do now. And he takes a deep breath and he turns and he says, so her last act was to save you. And was it just Sadet? Like, or no one else was there. It was just me. She thought it was best that the two of us could travel quickly and more secretly together. He says, well, then I hope everything you're doing here and with the Red Death and with all of it, as I'm doing, is to preserve her memory and to make her proud and to let just so that it was all worth it. She's crying. And she says, it wasn't worth it. it she was more important than anyone. And he says, he says, well, then, Miss Kepri, I think by the end of this, we better make damn sure that it was. She nods. She says, when you're ready, she reaches into her, her purse and pulls out a letter um, and says, I knew I wanted to tell you this. And I've, I've written it all down, but I've also written down what was so important about your mother to the cause, to the prevention, to the destruction of the Red Death. But I just, I want you to know that it, if there was any way I could have given my life for her, I would have. She was the noblest, bravest person I ever knew. And if, if you're half of her, I assume that you didn't even think for a moment about failing the test of character. But what happened in there is yours. I'd as soon not relive it anyway. 
I think James is just listening from the window and I think he realizes part of part of this is just Sadet needs to just say these things to get them out. So he's allowing her, you know, just allowing her for that. And as she does, she she picks up her, her glass and picks up the bottle that's on the table and pours a bit more of it and then sees what she's wearing and says, I'm still, do you mind if I dispense with all of this and sort of waves at her self? I says, um, don't, um, that'll be fine. I don't mind. And she lets out a sigh. And as she does in an instant, her appearance changes. She, her clothes uh, are the same ones she was wearing the night before, but they're more ragged. Um, they have some blood on them. Um, her hair is no longer straightened. It's now in sort of tight braids around her head. Uh, but the unmistakable thing that you notice is that her ears are pointed. Oh, I imagine James has questions about that at a later time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she, I, I think she's probably used to things like that. Yeah. Um, she, she reads it on your face and she says, this much of my appearance is an illusion. Um, I'm no, nowhere near as powerful as your mother was, but I can cast a few tricks myself. And when you run around looking like an elf, people start to ask questions. So it's just easier. And the hair, people around here are funny about things like that. Yeah, James nod and kind of smirks and chuckles a bit. I want to catch her before she goes. So, sure. Any, okay. So, if she likes turn when she turns to go, he wants to catch her. So, if there's anything before that, sure. Um. So, she asks if she can rest here for a bit. Um. She says, especially after what I've done since we last saw each other, there are certainly some people looking for me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have the one bed that you're more than welcome to. I've, I rested last night. I won't, I won't be sleeping now. I imagine I'll, I'll give this. And he taps the letter. Says, I imagine I'll spend some time with this now while while you rest. Okay. He says, uh, but but one thing before you do. He says that lost kingdom. You and my mother were part of. Is that a circle business? She says, no. <laughs> no, far from it. The circle is under the mistaken impression that they can keep the Red Death out. The Lost Kingdom knows that the only way to stop the Red Death is when it comes here to kill it. I think James just nods at that and has a seat down, you know, sits down to, and, and kind of tapping the letter, you know, says, well, I hope a good rest will do you, will do you good. 
She says, I, I hope so. But if, if I'm not here when you get back, or if you need to leave before I wake up. The I'll Red Death is Morgan nods. Nuncio as Ignacio. Starts to unfold that letter. Cleo Yansu Davis so she goes as Agnes. Lays down. Tim Devine as Finn Sawyer. Kent Blue as James. And Doug Lewandowski as the Game Master. The Red Death is part of the Roll to Play Network. It is edited, produced, and hosted by Kent Blue. Discover more at RollToPlayNetwork.com And do join us next time. If you I was walking in the darkness Till you put your hand on mine You showed me love, showed me laughter Then they took you, Clementine Oh my darling, oh my darling, oh my darling, Clementine Now I'm lost You're gone forever Dreadful sorrow Clementine